everybody. This is Bevan. Welcome to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. I'm so excited to have my friend Mags back on the podcast. Um, I interviewed Mags back in February of 2020. <laughs> the world was so different back then. Who knew? Um, and so you can hear more of Mags's backstory. Um, the ch- uh, we are both children of immigrants, uh, very different experiences in the world, both uh, uh, law school educated. I should say both lawyers. Technically, I guess I'm still a lawyer. I'm just not an attorney anymore. Um, anyway, whatever. We have a lot in common. And yet these days we are just like walking on that growth path, trying to just level up in all areas of life, figure out who we are. Um, I adore Mags and we had an amazing conversation about freedom and connection and just finding that balance. Cause I really think everything in life is about finding balance. Like it's about like experiencing the pleasure of life. Right. But like not diving too deep into like that Neptune. Right now we have like a Neptune, Pisces uh, moon conjunction happening. And so like Pisces can be about overindulgence. It can be, it's, it's a very like a spiritual sign, but also like can be that overindulgence. Right. So, but finding pleasure without the overindulgence and, and doing things that, that, you know, it's like you can, you've got a yum life, right? You've got to live a life that you actually enjoy. And I think the enjoyment of life is part of the healing process it's just being present for the life that you're in and having appreciation for the present moment, all of that stuff. Right. And so I just think that there's something in this, like in finding the balance between freedom and connection, like connecting to others and having good boundaries. And anyway, just loved this conversation, excited for you to join us. And we talk about Fat Kid Dance Party a lot in this class. So let me tell you what that is, uh, or in this episode. Fat Kid Dance Party is my aerobics class that I created. It's for anyone who feels left behind by mainstream fitness. If you have ever been called too fat, too much, or felt too awkward to dance, this is the supportive class for you. Um, I teach aerobics on Zoom. Uh, that's a weekly class. You can join us. You can meet Mags. Mags is a regular there. Uh, such a fun class. We check in about self-care afterwards. Um I also have on-demand aerobics classes, which we talk about. And so um, all of this is available through my Patreon page, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com is a membership support site that allows folks like you to support creators like me that make work that you find valuable um, and that you want to see in the world. Um, I love Patreon. I love that I get to create there. Um, uh, starting at the $2 a month level, you can join and get access to all of my Zoom aerobics classes. If you want the on-demand classes, if you want the full membership, it's 25 bucks a month. Um, and that includes, it just includes so much. I'm creating a community. We have a Discord server uh, where we're there, like leaving messages and connecting. Uh, we had a book club, which we talked about in this episode with Mags. Um, and so we're just, and I'm teaching about spirituality. It's so fun. I love that, like, I finally um, get to live this life where it's like, I don't have to be just one thing. I can offer all the things that I am in my wholeness. And so part of my Patreon work this year, I'm including a monthly spiritual lesson. And I'm just going through the 12 sort of major pillars of how I sort of support myself with spiritual self-care. It's very interesting. I got onto my spiritual path about 12 years ago and um, like really consciously connecting to a higher power. Maybe that was 11 years ago. Um, but it was 
transformative for me. It really changed everything in my life. And it all kind of unfolded in a series of self-care practices. And I talked through, um, I've done crystals. I talked through using dragons. Um, and next month, I'm going to talk about altar spaces. Um, so anyway, I have lots of fun things I'm excited to be teaching. Um, I'm excited that you're here with me and Mag. So you can find all of that stuff at patreon.com slash FKDP. Um, and stands for Fat Kid Dance Party. And without further ado, let's get on with the show. <laughs> Mags, welcome back to the podcast. Seven, thank you so much for having me. Yay, oh, I told Mag, I was trying, uh, regular listeners of the podcast, of which you are one, will know that I'm always talking about this pre-roll I have with people, and we always say seven. So today I was like, no, every time I tried to start saying something, I was like, no, we can't have this conversation now. We got to record it. Uh, so I just want to compliment you, Mags. If you're listening to this, you don't have the delight of seeing Mags wearing uh, what appears to be kind of a tuxedo, like strong dapper vibes. I appreciate dapper aesthetics, especially in the pandemic where I think a lot of people have relieved themselves of a need to dress fancy, which is fine. I never want compulsory fancy, but I always want fancy when people feel like it. And I love <laughs> that you are one of my fancy friends. Thank you. Yes. Well, I do. I love a fancy um, presentation and expression, right? I do. That was, um, I don't know when that impression came upon me, but it was certainly solidified um, by my father, who was uh, a policeman and then eventually um, had been in the Navy too, and then was a policeman and then retired, but sort of maintained that same, you know, persona of you dress appropriately for the activity. And sometimes that does require you to get fancy and then you should be at your fanciest. And the Navy certainly solidified and um, magnified that a lot, but it just amplified what I love, which is I do love a very fancy um, dapper outfit. Um, I just, it, and it, it is posh and it represents a lot of things I think we're gonna talk about today. So a lot of my, you know, conditioning and messaging comes together to, create this idealized version of what my presentation ought to be. And yeah, this has been kind of it most of my life. And so now I get to do it um, because as we've been talking about sidebar in our lives, I'm wanting to be in my freedom and my authenticity and my full expression of whoever I am, whoever I am in this moment. And it's okay if that moment does mean that I want to be in a tuxedo and other folks want to be in like t-shirt and shorts. <laughs> and yeah. So I love this. Yeah. I love all all these dapper elements. I love the dapper, I love, and same like you, I love people being in whatever they love. So if that's what they love, I, I'm not either requiring anyone to put on the tuxedo for me or like, everyone has wear tuxedos. Like, no, it's definitely like everyone has the freedom to express their biggest joy and like their, you know, clothing joy. This is my clothing joy. <laughs> I love yeah. sartorial expressions of all kinds, um, especially intentional ones. And I love that your root for dapper enjoyment comes from like this very like systemic police military background. Whereas yeah. my love for dapper stuff really comes from like FOMO at the gay bar because early oh, in my yeah. femme life, I would like think about wearing the dress before I went out and then I wouldn't do it. I would, I would just wear shorts or like a skirt and a top, but like not a dress. And then every time I would go out, I would notice that I felt jealousy about any femme yeah. who was just like in her fanciness. And then I just released the concern 
about being the most well-dressed or fanciest dressed person at any mm -hmm. event. This is like probably 2003 and like changed my life forever because I, I think like that's something, if you've been friends with me for any length of time, you know, I'm going to show up in an outfit, you know? And like, yeah, I only know you that way. So yeah, it's like, who taught you to turn down? Because I only met you when you were turned up happily and it's inspired me to turn myself more to the actual volume and not like the filtered volume. Right. Yeah, exactly. Who taught me to turn down? I don't know. Society, my mom, yeah. uh, my grandmother was always turned way up, but not, she's not as flamboyant as me. Like I'm definitely like real gay, real weird, real wild. Um, and she was just fancy. She, she had like, she did the thing where um, this book called The Magic of Thinking Big suggests um, spending your money. And I think this is really wise, especially in terms of a values and ethics thing around fast fashion, but really investing your money in pieces that make your heart sing and make you look your best. And so if you have half the amount of wardrobe, but they are good quality pieces, they're going to last you way longer. And it's again, going to set the impression that you want that's like in alignment. So grandmother lived like that. She had like a Chanel suit she had, which I currently own. Um, I want to get it modified to fit my plump body. So. <laughs> um, but like, you know, she had like the fancy stuff, right? And, um, but she really made it work. And, and the way she presented in life, it made it look like she was fancy all the time. And I loved that. That to me was like height of femininity. So it's interesting. Like I got all these messages from like my peers and my mom that I needed to tone things down in life. But I, once I just took the cap off of that, my life has been way happier. So yeah I think school often has us turn ourselves down in some ways and then I think it is similar though yes for me the the maximum masculinity then at the formal affair where you have to make sure to embody that space is a tuxedo or some formal wear and you know for my ancestors would have been unattainable and sort of unimagined and some level of like well that's not you never wear that or you're never going anywhere where, do, where you would need a tuxedo and so it's been a big deal for me to actually own my own tuxedo and, you know, get to dress as fancy as I want to, whatever, you know, to whatever affair as a sign of like, hey, look at this, I get to wear the thing I want to wear. Exactly. But yeah, it's definitely tied into those ideas of um, presenting and what I want to talk about, especially today is this balance between freedom and connection and the constant flow between those two things because we're individuals and we have a sense of self and yet we're also completely interconnected and as much as we may not want to be sometimes as babies we have to be and then as adults we understand that even if we need periods of solidarity of solitary you know solitary time and solitary um, focus you still need that balance of having people and interconnected in some other way even if it's like at a distance and so it's interesting to me that we at some for me, at least at a very young age, I was already trying to starting to figure that out and put myself in the way that I would be able to connect and be, you know, within the fabric of what I was seeing and the possibilities. And, you know, clothing being one of those major ways to express that, right? Yeah. Oh, I love this. Let's talk about freedom and connection. I feel like this yeah. is perfect for right now because right now we're recording. Um, hi to the folks who are listening to this in the future. Um, but right now we're recording this in Aries season. Um, and what I love about like really living a kind of astrologically seasonally based life is that um, the Zodiac is all about balance. Um, and so yes. Aries is balanced with Libra. Aries, like the kind of low vibe kind of Aries is a very selfish energy. 
Um, and the high vibe of, of Libra is balanced and connection. And so I was just thinking about this because of Prince's birth chart, his south node. So the, the orientation of the moon in your chart has meaning. Mm -hmm. um, your south node is what you mastered in your last life. Your north node is what you're aiming for in this life. And so like many rock stars, actually, it's like a strong rock star placement. Mm -hmm. This Aries south node is selfishness. And you kind of need a level of selfishness in order to achieve greatness because you have to be able to like cut off the distractions and focus mm -hmm. because if you look at anybody who's done something great and sustained it, like Mariah Carey, right? Like in her book, she talks about how, how dedicated she was to learning her voice as a tool. Um, and that's a lot of applied greatness to talent, right? And the same with Prince. Uh, but then like, you're kind of seeking that balance of like, I think, I think there's freedom in balance and there's freedom in the balance between selfishness and collective energy. And like, the, and also like as we grow as humans, like we're constantly changing um, and mm -hmm. having space for yourself um, to change and to become who you really are, right? Continuing to unearth your authenticity from all of the lies that people told you about yourself. And then also like there's, um, so there, there's like a freedom in that balance, in that connection, because there's also stuff we can't learn about ourselves unless we're in relationship with other people. Um, right. Yeah. So tell me, tell me your thoughts on freedom and connection. Yeah. Yes. And so that's exactly it is that I think because um, we've talked about before, we believe similarly that we are energetic spiritual beings having this human experience. And for this amount of time on this plane, we're tied to these biological suits or, you know, this body. Um, we're more than our bodies, but we're obviously like working with hopefully usually not against our body. And so we have to have those boundaries and the ability to balance the time with others, time with ourselves, the time getting our needs met and those needs not being just with others and not just with ourselves. And that is the challenge, I think. And um, what I come back to is that as humans, because of our social conditioning and our cultural conditionings and the choices that our ancestors made, we've come to have these lives that um, take us away from being human and take us away from being in balance with nature and being in balance with ourselves and what our bodies need and what our spirits need and what the collective needs and what nature needs. And um, we find ourselves in struggling all the time. And I do think the folks that are able to manage some of that and then find the time to reflect and take care of themselves and work on their craft or their talent or their creative flow and not just being spent in that struggle of being human in all of these hierarchies and all of these ways that we're told that we're less than, that we're really not capable or as capable or as worthy or as valuable, or we're not valuable until something happens, until some achievement happens, um, then we're taken away from those places that we can be in creation and be in creative flow with ourselves and with each other because we're having those needs met on a more basic level and we're struggling to have our needs met on these very basic levels. And you and I have talked about how um, some of those needs, unfortunately, remain so difficult to be met because of our environments <laughs> and because of um, the adults around us that we needed as grownups to be grownups and to be taking care of us and providing those boundaries and those safety parameters that we could explore and grow, but also be valued in our um, expression of who we were and not told who we had to be. And so for me, it's been a really challenge. I felt very connected always, but that's because I 
compromise my authenticity to be connected and then struggled to make myself sort of make sense and trust myself and others within those connections because I didn't think it was okay to be me or free to be me. And so as an adult, I've had to find much more ways to feel free um, and connected. <clears throat> Where I think a lot of people really struggle with connection, maybe feeling lonely. That's not what I felt as often. I felt more that I have all of these relationships, but I know there's some part of me that I'm not able yet fully to express or feel free to express, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There's an, um, Jeffrey Marsh and I talked about this on our episode mm -hmm. that like, if you're not growing away from your friends, you're probably not growing, right? Because if you keep the same friends, you think they're safe. Um, and I think that can be really hard when you're working on your freedom, right? And trying to unearth your authenticity from like all of the programming and all the systems. Mm -hmm. um, and then your friends aren't doing that work. And that's okay, right? Everyone's got a different path. And like, um, something that has been really uh, a challenge for me, but something I've really kind of learned to live with is the grief of uh, those lost connections. Um, and like, even just like recently in this season, like in Pisces season, I had some, I have had some really close friends who were Pisces who are not in my life anymore. And I still think of them and I pray for them, but can't have them in my life because as I grew, I needed different boundaries that they weren't willing to um, support, you know, and like that, I mean, and that vibes them out, you know, like if you it, like, and boundaries are just so essential to living the life that you deserve, because I think so frequently something, I know you were socialized this way, like to like have no boundaries and to just be totally there for everybody in a way that mm -hmm. abandons yourself. And that's where like, it's the opposite of like freedom and connection, all of that, because it's not real connection if you're sacrificing yourself. <laughs> yes, and I will tell you though, my Cuban culture <laughs> uh, totally says that that is a definition of connection, that you do sacrifice yourself for the family, and you sacrifice yourself for your parents first, so, so it comes back to the same idea, which is, I think, what creates a disconnection is the hierarchy, if you have a hierarchy in a family and it starts with the family and it goes out from there to the entire society and all of our cultural conditioning and then even the global impact of all of that compounding that there's some otherness within families that you can decide who's going to be more valuable and who's less valuable and what uh, position you play within that family and then how you might be elevated in the hierarchy. You know, a lot of families for sure um, in the Cuban culture, this is true, that if there isn't um, an adult male in the family, then the younger adult male gets thrust in that position of being the man of the family and taking on greater responsibility. Even if it's just a perceived responsibility, that changes how you interact and deal with the world. And so then we have a hierarchy within the family that tells you who's better than and who's less than. And we continue that in all of our different connections. And then everyone's told which box they get to fit in. And it's so limiting, right? And there's something about that for sure that to me as a child, even immediately, it was like, well, this can't be right. It can't be right that um, my amount of freedom or choice is determined by my gender, you know, by, or, and I thought it was gender at the time. It wasn't, right? It was biology, perceived biology even because I'm certain no one took a chromosomal test <laughs> in 1976 when I was born and so yeah what a strange thing that um, I was convinced that the only way you get to have connection is to conform to the rules that you're told 
in your culture. <laughs> and I was told a lot of different conflicting rules. So it was really confusing for a really long time. Only now as an adult to realize like, oh man, <laughs> all that stuff is superhuman made up and doesn't make a lot of sense, but we just repeat it because we have these patterns. You and we're know, not taught, saying, we're not taught to be critical thinkers or questioners. It's the like, opposite. Oh yeah. yeah. All of our belonging and connection that human need, like we have an essential human need for connection. Like being a hermit mm -hmm. is not the answer because you still need <laughs> people, right? Like as much as people are like, uh, right. To some folks, like oh. <laughs> we need people being a hermit is not the answer, but, um, it also right. is like kind of wild where we get, we have this need for human humans. And then all the humans put all these conditions around the belonging. Mm -hmm. And then we just like, don't, and we're not taught critical thinking because they took that when they were designing the school system this is a true story they took sure. critical thinking out of the curriculum so <laughs> most folks are raised to just listen to bells respond to bells and go someplace for eight hours a day that's factory workers right like that's training factory workers and it's not how to create a thriving humanity in the information age of like solve because we have the resources to solve all the problems we're just not oh, yeah. doing it because so many people are limited by their frame of mind um they're not in their freedom and so it's just holding hostage to belonging for conformity i just like there's so many lies i believed about myself like how terrible my body was when i was five years old that was yes. the messaging i was given and that is just so I mean, it's child abuse is what I'll say. And, and that was really, really hard for me to break out of. And it's why I'm so passionate today because I finally found my freedom in other people showing me what it was like to just be free of the idea that your body had to be any kind of way for you to live a happy life. <laughs> you can live a happy life today. That's your choice. And like, it's, I mean, obviously there's lots of privileges and oppressions that intersect that make it a lot harder to get into that space, but you do have control over your thoughts. Well, we have to, we have to exercise that amount of control and agency, especially if we're suffering under the oppressive systems that try to take that away and say, well, you don't have agency because you cannot survive or make it in the system unless you conform. And that's the beginning bamboozlement. And if they can convince you of that, then anything that comes after that is only serving the system, even if you are angry and resistant and um, hostile within the system, you're perpetuating and accepting the system. And I do think that's the revolution that we need is that so many of us, because of our cultural conditioning and our exposure to these systems and the need to survive, which is the human aspect of us, we're going to adapt and do our best to find that balance, even in inappropriate ways. We have to recognize, though, that the systems and um, our ancestors' choices, while giving them the benefit of the doubt or as best the choices they could make, continue to have the hierarchies built in. And in our country, especially, you know, this is something that I'm passionate about us understanding, at least as a country that is so young, we're such a baby country. <laughs> we're a baby country with really, really incredible highest vibe ideals and a real low bar for delivery um, and outcomes because the hierarchy is built into our system that even if you get rid of all the other hierarchies that we might say aren't appropriate these days of race and gender and religion and um, ability and you know um, body capacities and um, these other systems, you still have class and capitalism as a system that we say we just can't get away and America is about capitalism no matter what. And that is just a hierarchy that says compete for the resources, whoever gets the most wins, whatever it is they're winning right now, it's going to win the extinction of our species um, and a reset for mother nature. 
bless her, um, and her continuance. So we have to find a way to overcome the hierarchy, and it has to begin with our own liberation. And you've really helped me on this journey of finding those systems within me and why I'm putting on my shame sweater and feeling guilty and um, ashamed of what blessings I might have been given or I might be able to achieve just because of the system I was born into that I've internalized now and that um, I reject my masculinity because um, patriarchy (laughs) makes masculinity very toxic and tells us all the awful ways that it can be used for control, but that's not the full spectrum. That's the hierarchy, right? Gone wrong. And what I'm interested in is how we can find ways to get rid of that hierarchy within ourselves and admit it and know that we're all in it together so that we can connect in those safe ways that recognize all of our humanity and all of our dignity and not just what the hierarchy assigns us. Yeah. There's so much in there. And I think like Shame is something that is a weapon that so yes. many people use. And I think I've been thinking a lot about cancel culture recently and um, like how the weapon of cancel culture is shame. And if you're a person with a shame, her story, history, their story, that, I mean, cancel culture just triggers all of that. And it's yeah. awful. And I mean, shame kills. Shame is, I think, what like leads to a lot of suicide. Um, and it is. And the, the saddest part is most of the people who are using shame as a weapon themselves are completely victims of shame in their own mind. And shame, I just want to empower everyone listening to this. Shame is in your mind. Shame is a perspective. Shame is not, shame is something you can, every feeling in you is valid, right? Like, so if you just come from the full space of, if it's an emotion, I'm feeling it, it's here, it's valid, right? But if you, can, if you're feeling shame, acknowledge it. I mean, it t- here's what shame is like a stealth pirate. So you don't always know that's what you're feeling. But when you, this is why meditation is great. And just being a witness of your emotions is great. Because um, if you're a non-judgmental witness, you're not using shame versus shame, right? And so you're noticing, oh, I'm feeling this way. Like, where is this coming from? Why am I worried about what this person thinks? And then shame eventually reveals itself to you. And then you're like, oh, I don't have to feel that way because I'm valid and worthy exactly as I am. And even your mistakes are valid and worthy. Even the harm that you've caused, like you can't, no one, this is why shame doesn't work in cancel culture because nobody, like accountability doesn't come from a shame place. Accountability comes from a genuine want to do better. Um, And that's where like, um, I used to, it's, this is the thing. I'm always willing to change. And I used to really believe impact was greater than intent. Um, but I think that intent matters because intent shows mm-hmm. you whether or not that person has the capacity to change and take actual accountability. Because if somebody doesn't have any good intent, they're probably not going to change and they're not open to like whatever accountability can work with them or like not further causing same harm. Right. Um, but like as humans, we're out there making mistakes, causing harm all the time. It's part of the the process of failing forward and making mistakes right and so just having and and I think we get coded with shame like we feel shame about our bodies about our genders about our actions and it makes us not do things um and like hold ourselves back and again that's the hermit thing the hermit doesn't work you can't live a happy life being a hermit can't live a happy life not trying and not getting out of your comfort zone um but shame is like I think one of the biggest things that we have to fight and it's all an internal battle Absolutely. I think so too. And understanding, um, addressing and embracing where that story is coming from, that's bringing up the shame because Mm. 
sad to say that I, you know, my Cuban and American cross-cultural intersections came with a lot of shame and a lot of shame being used as a way to condition you to conform and possibly even, you know, as a way to keep you safe or to protect you, or there might've been some good intention to use of that as a tool because folks think it's effective or they think it's going to get the outcome they want. And we find that it doesn't, right? It just is alienating and it causes disconnection and it um, tells us that we're bad often just for being human. So the shame, you know, in my cultures that I experience, you know, were telling me I should be ashamed of being queer, you know, of not conforming to being the woman that I was assigned to be and getting married and having children and having the life that I was expected to have and that I should be ashamed that I would want something different or that that wouldn't be who I was. And we know that's all just nonsense and coming from this human plane programming that we don't even know anymore, you know, where it comes from. And even when people say, well, it's my religion, let's say, and I was raised Lutheran. Um, well, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. That's not, being Lutheran is not actually about shame. It's about unconditional love and loving your neighbor um, as you love yourself and understanding that God created all of us <laughs> and that um, God is a loving God. And so this idea of shame is just another tool of control and to keep us in those hierarchies. Because if you have shame, then you can do the things to avoid the shame, which are to be conforming to the thing to avoid the shame. It's like, oh, now I've just been chasing <laughs> my own worthiness or my own proof of worthiness. And like, that's just not how it works, you guys. <laughs> that's just not how it works. We're not here um, to prove anything. We're all valuable and worthy and capable of doing with our bodies and creating and contributing to this collective in meaningful ways, whatever that is. And it's... um. We could be cooperating instead of competing. And yet those same systems of control want us to compete because then we can be exploited. And so that's another big concept I've been looking at lately is how um, examining all the privileges and what I call blessings of where I happen to have been you know, cast into life um, and seeing that I have this incredible amount of privilege at the expense of others and at the expense of the systems that value some bodies more than others. And what we can do to recognize that we're all trapped in the system and all of us are being exploited, it's just a matter how much. And we need to fight the system, not each other, um, so that the hierarchy changes and so that the collective can have wellness and so that we can work in balance with mother nature and each other. And I love that so much of the work that you're putting out there and the energy that you vibe on, Bevan, and that you bring to others is that um, the peace and clarity to know that we're not meant to be just chasing, you know, worthiness, that we have that already and that our bodies would never, you know, want us to feel differently. And I appreciate that so much from you. <laughs> Back at Dance Party um, has been one of those sources of joyful movement that helps me appreciate and love myself more and feel much more connected to everything and not um, other and separate to. And I think that's our challenge is that we are not separate to anything. And as soon as we start feeling separate to nature and each other, those systems have to go. Yes, absolutely. And I just want to say that I think the most vital work we do to fight systems is within ourselves. It's mm -hmm. so, um, I use, when I, when I started doing this work, um, it started in 2002, like even before I understood what I was doing, 
Um, but really like I kind of clarified for myself. I read my first success book when I was in like 2007, it was Jack Canfield's the, like, I don't know, some, a lot of numbers, laws of success. It's like 35 or something. That's really good. <laughs> good starter. If you're into like getting better in life. Right. And, um, in that book, he talked about making a mission statement, figuring out why you do what you do. And I was like, oh, and I, I did the work and I was like, I want to make the world safe for people to love themselves. And to me, that felt like I was fighting the system and like fighting all these things that teach us to hate our bodies. Right. Which is true. That is essentially I'm a warrior for self-love and those are the systems I fight. But I find that the much more potent and long lasting and far reaching way to do that is actually just through one-on-one self-empowerment of people because the Mm -hmm. systems are most alive in people's heads. These are all just agreements we make, right? Like stuff like the, the, the stoplight being red, telling you to actually stop your car. That's a system we all buy into and something we have to learn before Mm -hmm. they let us go on the road. Right. Um, and so all of these systems live in our heads and you can disinvest from each and every one of them as you are learn and are aware that they're there. And I think the most potent work to do is just personal growth work, figure out where you want to grow, see who you admire and how they live in the world and listen to what they say and what they suggest and like read those books and follow through and like get a coach therapist. I have a coach therapist and a mentor and a lot of supportive friends and a Patreon. Like I have a lot of people cheering me on and holding space for me to be me in the world. And I'm so, so grateful, but you need a support system. Again, the hermit life doesn't work. That's right. The connection. Yeah. It's so important. And that's the funny thing. And one of the things that I think would have been helpful for me to know much sooner is that children or humans, right? We started as children, but we're just humans that are smaller and then grow up to be bigger. Yeah. We are able to find the freedom by having the safety first and having our parents ideally help us know that the world is a friendly place and we can ask for help because people that care about us will take care of us. Um, But we need the world to feel like a friendly place first. And that starts by having the adults in your life help you manage the scariness and the abruptness of taking in all that new sensory information as a little teeny tiny being, right? And so the more that you have your caregivers there to help you through whatever discomfort you might have, the more you grow in your safety and ability to want to explore and experience new things and know that whatever you experience might be unpleasant, even uncomfortable, but then you get through it and you have somebody there to take care of you. And, you know, life is just a series of explorations. Um, Not exactly how I grew up (laughs) Um, and not really was my perception of the world did not seem like a very safe place. And then it personally became not a very safe place as I became an adult. And so I've had to reprogram myself in some ways to understand like, well, bless us humans. We make the world a less safe place than it can be, but we can still find that like reconnection and safety and community. And um, by making those choices, wherever we are, as soon as we decide we don't have a choice or that we're stuck, or we're not gonna grow, we're not gonna change. Um, I think that is a lot of suffering that comes in and that's the the mindset difference that folks are able to hopefully, you know, change and uh, find a way to transmit, you know, and I definitely have found myself stuck in a lot of like, woe is me, this will be forever, I'll never feel better thinking and it was sometimes very real and true, depending on how much my needs were going unmet and a lot of those needs of being authentic and finding safe connections and Um, feeling safe to me, I am able to now better meet those. And so I'm trying to make sure that I stay in that energy and vibe of 
love and acceptance and autonomy, you know, and freedom. Yeah. yeah. Argue for your limitations and sure enough, you can keep them. Uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite sayings and it's really, it's something I've been playing a lot in my head because I, I live in a multi-generational, well, multi-generational neighborhood. I live here and most of my neighbors are like 60 and older and mm -hmm. the amount of excuses I hear about, oh, I'm too old. I can't learn. Or when you're old, this happens. Like, and I just, I don't believe it. I think the way we run our society, um, kids are incredible. So kids are so elastic that they're like uncomfortable most of the time because they have to be learning new things. They're always entering a new grade. You know what I mean? Like you're just, you know, if you're in the school system um, and then they spend their side time playing, just being in their imaginations and exploring and being loud and making funny noises and jumping in piles, right? Like kids are amazing. And that's really the energy. Like we want to have a happy life. If you want to be happy and successful, you need to keep growing in some way mm -hmm. all the time. I've just, for me in the last like year and a half, two years, I've really focused on my growth and it has helped it. I'm reaping mental health rewards at a minimum. That's really what I was aiming for. And it's working. And then some, um, and just really doubling down. Like I let law school ruin school for me and ruin reading <laughs> and learning. I was like, I'm out. Like I would take a webinar every now and again, but I wasn't not, I didn't even like to do my CLEs because I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to learn anymore. But it was because I wasn't, I didn't want to learn any more law because it wasn't, I was so out of alignment. And like, so now that I'm learning about loving people and communication and leadership and the physiology of high performance so that I can help my faculty dance party folks, right? Like all of this is like so enlivening to me. And yeah, a lot of the new stuff I do and challenging myself out of my comfort zone, it's uncomfortable, but then I spend a balance of time playing. And like, when you stop using those parts of your brain and also like, I think our nutrition has a lot to do with how our brains function too over time as we age. But like all of this, um, like kind of compounds to like people experience getting older, but really you're not moving you're not stretching, you're not like growing. And so that's where the atrophy is coming from. And that's why it feels harder. Um, and so when you're in the practice of learning and adapting, like adaptability, I mean, if you haven't figured out in the coronavirus pandemic that adaptability is a strength and something you need in order to live a happier life. Like I'm just, even in this time for you, Max, like I've, I've admired so much of you. I just wanna like <laughs> hype you up for a second. All this past year, <laughs> Like the last time we did a podcast together was I think February, 2020, you were living in Seattle, you had manifested your dream job. But then at the time you were like, I really want this to be a work from home and go back to Atlanta. And then the coronavirus, like you were in this process of trying to get that to happen. And then the coronavirus happened, it happened, you moved back to Atlanta and like, now you're just like, you've been on this growth path. You've been journaling a lot. You've been discovering more about yourself. And like, I am just loving every new version that unfolds. I just love you doing the work and, and trying to get happier and free and more like true to you and chill and more chill, which you deserve. And <laughs> yeah, well, I think a pandemic will really help you try to find your chill because, uh, you know, the Navy life and death job um, was a great place to have my lack of chill maximized and then needing to manage it when civilian life doesn't quite require the same life or death energy and intensity all the time, um, then a pandemic is like, oh, well, this is why you need to freak out, right? Um, but you can only live in that energy so long. It keeps your needs from being met. Same thing, the balance of freedom and connection. <laughs> no, I felt trapped, right? I didn't want to be connected to anybody. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to disappear. I was too afraid 
Um, I needed to find ways to balance that. And I did find, it finally also gave me the space to go within and to examine those limiting beliefs or just my thought patterns and where my thoughts were coming from. Because um, I will say that as a child, I got close to maybe what I thought maybe food insecurity might be like at times my family struggled, but mostly as an adult, um, I've had my basic needs very well met by and large. Um, you know, maybe not in the Navy, like with healthy food, but I always had food, right? I knew that I was going to have food and not a lot of rest, but some amount of rest and shelter. <laughs> I was on this bigger mission. Um, but I've struggled often with just my own mind, right? And my own toxic thoughts and my limiting beliefs and my own shame and guilt and anxiety and, you know, the depression that comes from feeling stuck and feeling, um, despair and not feeling any hope or chance of change. And what I learned is that that's really not how humans, that's not how our bodies work. And that's not who we are as species. We're actually um, wired for growth and we need to grow all the time and learn all the time. And we are highly adaptable. And so part of that adaptability has come from creating the peace around myself that I can in this bigger environment of things out of my control. Um, and back at Dance Party, again, has been a big part of that, getting to look forward to it, having the consistency, having um, the routine and some of the rituals to help me um, use my energy in ways that were productive and helpful in balancing out, you know, the unease that comes from really recognizing the collective grief and loss of, it's sad to say how many humans have not had their lives valued, especially at the end, or we could have saved so many more folks with more competent leadership and more compassionate leadership. And I think that is something that's improving now in these times right now. And may in the future when people are hearing this have improved even more greatly, but we absolutely um, are going through a collective um, event of energy, you know, change and loss. And so it's important to recognize all that and then do what we can to take care of ourselves in the midst of it so that we can contribute our best energy and have the most peaceful, I think, existence we can in the meantime to, you know, make those choices that we can for ourselves as best we can. And so I looked at where I could make those better choices and spoiler alert, getting more rest is really helpful. <laughs> Drinking more water is really helpful. You know, taking care of the body that we're in, you know, like you talk about, it's just so helpful. Stretching, you know, I really, how much of my life have I gone through where I didn't stretch every day, even when I was more active and playing sports and, you know, on a team, there were days where you had rest days or you had days that, you know, you were too busy or as a, you know, student athlete, you just went and played the game. I very rarely then did like the stretching afterwards or the recovery of any kind or, you know, even as an adult. And so I find I take much better care of my body now. And yeah, it turns out I feel better in it pretty often too. <laughs> It's Crazy. so wild how like, it's funny, like my motivation keeps shifting, which I'm really grateful for. Cause like, here's the thing about motivation. Like you can't wait for it to strike. You've got to kind of set yourself up for that success mm -hmm. to like mm -hmm. follow through anyway. This is why I love a class, right? Like back at dance party is like, I have an on-demand version and I have a zoom class. And part of it is because some people are motivated to just like fit it in when they can. Some people are motivated because there's a time and you show up and there's mm -hmm. people there. Um, and I love that there's that balance. And for me, like, I really, I like, 
have been doing yoga classes, right, on Zoom. It's been very helpful to me. I'm so grateful for the yoga instructors who share in this format um, mm-hmm. so that I can like do it for my house. But I don't, it's, you know, it's still not ideal. I live in a trailer, small space. It's harder to do it in here. And what I've noticed is in the forest, I've been hiking in a tarp with me in on my daily forest walks. Mm-hmm. Bringing that tarp has been a next level way to like be in the forest because now like I do yoga because it's a way for me like in that because I'll do yoga at home because I know it nourishes my body right like it's a self-care thing that I follow through with but in the forest to me it's like it's truly the yoga it's like whatever the breath body spirit connection needs to be in that moment is where I am and I get to be under the trees which is just like no yoga studio can can even compare to like doing happy baby under a tree right I don't even like to do happy baby at home but like under a tree it's like so much fun like just to kind of rock back and forth and just see the trees and just I mean just trying to figure out different ways of like making the things that you know seed your freedom right like if I want to feel free in my body I need to do self-care that helps my body feel free if I want to feel free in life I need to do the the thought work because you, you get free in your mind first before you experience freedom, like in life, whatever that looks like to you. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm stuck. You're such a good, um, just a, a, such an incredible support and cheerleader and, um, having you as a regular for faculty dance party has been so great. Um, and just so much fun. And like, so, like th- this is something I want to share with everybody one time. So I watch the class and I always invite people at the beginning of the zoom aerobics class. You can watch it. Like I spotlight myself. I have my interpreter Ruth at the top of the stack with a raised hand. So you can see them signing. So you can watch it that way with the spotlight version, or you can go gallery and watch everybody. And that's what I do. Cause I like to dance with everybody. Um, and it also like helps me know, like the way I'm teaching, it's like, it's not as good as being in person because the way I teach in person, I can really tell, Oh, are people getting it the way I'm describing this movement? Right. And that's how I get better. Um, but watching people do movement and then like watching you kind of like, there was a day where you were taking up space in different spots in your tiny house with M and it was just so joyful and free. And that's exactly the vibe that I want for Facky Dance Party. I just want you to be in your space, feeling joyful and free and silly and playful and like taking up space. Yeah, and that's been one of the things that's so fun about Facky Dance Party is that it brings you into the moment right now and out of my head where I often spend a lot of my time in my, you know, just thinking and, you know, recounting or looking at memories or wondering. I I spend a lot of time curious about things and sometimes I'm curious externally and sometimes I'm internally curious. I love Fat Kid Dance Party for being like, you know, for that hour-ish amount of time, um, especially when we get together on Saturdays, to just be in that moment of like fun and imagination. And then I love the Patreon and the videos that are on demand too, because I can put those on whenever I'm doing other things. And sometimes like, even if I do part of the video while I'm listening to it, it's helpful while I'm like doing chores or like, you know, needing to generate the outcomes I want, like clean clothes, very important to me, <laughs> I love clean clothes. You have to cho- choose, you know, to do that or you won't have clean clothes, that's how it works. And so it helps even in like other of those moments of like life, human things, you know, I need, um, you have to be in public, especially in outerwear at home. I know I'm doing more of the casual wear, but even going out, you know, some, eventually at some point, society makes you put on clothes. And I love having Patreon, you know, videos sometimes to like 
look at those too and have them in my head. So it's awesome. <laughs> and it helps me. Yeah, it really helps like keep the movement of energy going throughout the day when I'm feeling like bogged down by something or, you know, work, you know, involved activities that require a certain energy. Um, I do some like movements in between. Um, I presented something that I'm really passionate about the other day uh, to do some educational sort of contribution. And I did some big hand claps before to like vibe up and like prepare myself for the presentation and, you know, stated my like purpose and why I was like, you know, presenting the information to be in like centered and not in like, you know, the concern or the anxiety of outcomes, but just in my intention. And that's something that comes directly from packet dance writing from you, Bevan. I'm so grateful for you. (laughs) So I'm a big fan because you helped me so much. (laughs) I mean, and I'm grateful for you because it's like the, there's a great video about leadership, which is like, um, the first person dancing in the back of a concert, nobody else is dancing. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. one of those, remember fields where you could just be in a field and watch music with people yeah. and hug yeah, them. Weird. You could be, or in a theater close, like I've stood, I've stood, I've stood against like other grownups. You're like, we should really be in a relationship and we're this close. Right. But why exactly. not? Fine. And you're like, and it's like normal. It used to be normal. Exactly. It used to be normal. Um, and so there's this video of this person who's dancing and like just wilding out, right? Like really feeling it. Nobody is dancing with them. But then it's that second person. It's the second person who joins them that really makes it a movement. And then suddenly tons of people were joining them, right? And like for you, I feel like your enthusiasm just from the day one of Zoom aerobics was just so big. It really helped me a lot. It always helped. Even with our book club, like we just did a great book club. It's on the YouTube uh, with Jeffrey Marsh. And I knew I could do it when I got you on board, when, when you said, oh, I'll read the book. I was like, I mean, I would suggest it to you as your friend, like read this book for sure. How to be you by Jeffrey Marsh. But um, getting like, I just knew, I knew you were like my, like my linchpin person that if you were into it, then this is a real idea. And and this is what we're going to do. And then there were like nine other folks there. It was great. So yeah, so it was such a wonderful, incredible experience to get to have a book that's so powerful and really one of those to me, um, books that I will return to and can utilize all the time just to be in connection with myself and know better. And then to get to meet the author and talk to them was just, ah, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. So I love the book club and I love book club energy and these things you're able to create, you know, by knowing folks and sharing energy and folks wanting, you know, to be in community with you as I do. I love being in community with you. Oh, thanks. And you know, community, just so everyone understands, community means you just keep showing up. That's what makes community. And so it's really, oh, it's so good. It's so good to have you part of the Faculty Dance Party community. Um, I want to definitely make sure we talk about this. Um, tell me about your name journey and how that's been going. Because just, I think pre-pandemic, but just about pandemic time, you were moving into using mags as your pronouns, uh, mag mags. Um, and then also yeah. in our pre-roll, this is what I said, we couldn't talk about it until the until the podcast <laughs> about like potentially changing your name and like not knowing what it is, but just kind of exploring. And I just yeah. talked in my last episode about like my euphoria over just like the simplicity of only going by my first name. And like, I don't, for me, pronouns doesn't matter. You can't get my pronouns wrong. Like that's the first rule. I will never care what my, what you call my pronouns. But I mean, as long as you say it with love, but um, <laughs> right. Like no last name for me, this feels perfect. And there's so much euphoria in that joy. And so I'm just excited for you to find your name euphoria and tell me about that journey and what that, that's been like. Yes. Well, so names I think are so powerful, right? Because they describe us and even before 
we come into the world often our names have been chosen for us or there's an idea of a name there's always name story everyone has a name story and I have my name story has been very um, prevalent and impactful to my life because my mother believed and strongly hoped I think and so did my biological father everyone was I think ready and wanting um, for the baby my mom was about to have to be another boy my sister was born and then my aunt had a son who was um, about three years younger and then I was going to be next as a child and my sister um, probably was the only one that wanted a girl and I think she may have willed me um, I do think actually she created sort of she manifested me okay I think she did manifest me and like call me in as a soul sibling and she really wanted a girl everyone else around and the energy wanted a boy and my mom thought I was going to be a boy until I was born the ultrasound uh, based on my heartbeat strength they didn't have yet like the ability my mom didn't know gender based on biology yet just by the strength and like the activity and my kickingness everyone as soon as I was a boy my mom picked out a boy name that was going to be Michael Anthony and um, I was born under my biological father's name, which is Arguello, A-R-G-U-E-L-L-O, a very Spanish sounding double L name that even in English, if you just pronounce it out, Arguello is kind of odd and doesn't roll off the American English tongue, right? And so I was going to be Michael Anthony Arguello, and then I was born assigned female at birth. And my mom would name me then. She had picked out girl names to be female names, to be Christina and um, I think just Christina was the name she wanted to go with. She wanted to name my sister Kelly. She didn't get to. She wanted to name me Christina. She didn't get to. My biological father decided that I would be named after my mother. If I wasn't going to be a boy, then he wanted me to be named after my mother because he was obsessed and loved her and she was the love of his life. And so before she could decide my name, though, as the mother, he had already had me named through the hospital and they put the name on there. Um, yeah, and so then I grew up then again, my earliest thoughts being, um, as you know, I've talked about this, it's spicy again. My earliest thoughts were being that I was a boy and putting myself in that energy of I'm a boy, not a girl. Even though I was being told already that I was a girl, I very strongly was very adamant. That's not true. Um, and so as I got to school, then just a few years after those first initial thoughts of being convinced of this belief that I've been telling myself a long time, or I wouldn't have been able to have it as such a strong belief at three years old, um, I go into an English speaking environment with my name being Magali Arguello, which I think is a beautiful name in Spanish. It's beautiful. No one could ever say that <laughs> at the beginning of the roster, usually in attendance and confusion always began the experience. I never had a teacher, um, probably ever in school, maybe my Spanish teacher at some point, um, they could pronounce my name. And so there was always confusion was the first attribute that I would, I think, you know, experience this energy in these new environments every single new school year because I moved around enough. And so having a lot of tension kind of and um, inner conflict around my name, loving, I love my mom. She's my inspiration. She's my joy and angel in life. Um, so feeling very adamant about my mom. Like, I mean, talk about my mom and we're probably going to fight, right? Like, I feel very strongly, but it was a name that didn't feel strongly me and I didn't feel connection to it. And then I wish that she had named me Christina, probably because my bio dad disappeared after, you know, very quickly. Um, he wasn't that concerned with me since I wasn't a boy and didn't accept my sister because she was a girl. Um, I'm convinced anyway, you can't believe otherwise. It was a gender thing for sure. And the Cuban, um, he was Nicaraguan, but a similar culture of 
valuing again the hierarchy, valuing the masculine over the feminine, the masculine, the male over the female. And so he disappears, but I'm stuck with this name that I don't feel connected to and is confusing. Um, and then and also, and I, can we just point out that your dad named you after your mom because he was obsessed with your mom, but then ultimately not obsessed enough to commit and follow through with a commitment to <laughs> raise a family with your mom. <laughs> wild my mom told me a similar story that my dad can like she didn't want to have a kid until after she got her degree but he was so obsessed with getting a kid and having a kid I mean I'm grateful I'm glad to be here um but like mm -hmm. it's wild how and he was yeah. gone by I was the time I was 18 months old so it's like great thanks abandoners um anyway See, and this is to me yeah so I think this is to me the internalized hierarchy that people don't recognize within themselves that drives them to these outcomes. It's like, ugh, why are you even doing that, dude? So yeah, he disappears, stuck with this name, not stuck, but I have this name. And then eventually I'm adopted um, and my name has changed to Ickes. So then now a very, um, this other issue that I have with names right away is, I don't remember exactly when, but I can remember different times in my life where I would be angry and just sort of like rageful. And one of the times I was really rageful was finding out that the reason that women change their names when they get married is because they used to be property of their parents and their father, really. Women were just property in general, and so you're the property of your father, and then you become the property of your husband. And I remember as a child thinking, no, <laughs> that, that there's something wrong with that. That cannot be the way it's supposed to be. And I'm no one's property. I'm not going to be anyone's property. That's not. So I remember thinking eventually, you know, I would find some way that I was not going to be changing my name. That's why. So I still have that same inner belief of like, well, I don't like that my name has come as a result of being perceived as property or being in some way first identified by others, named by others, and then the property of others. And so I talked to my mom just yesterday about how much I love her and I love her name um, and feel honored to have it. And yet also have this masculine energy that I'm so wanting to authentically express and be more accepting of my own expression of it and that may mean eventually wanting to change my name to something more masculine although to be honest folks don't really know what Megali is as a name so I can also assign it and change it as I want to so I talked to her about that too how I might just shorten it or you know change it to mags and be you know in that energy of asking folks to be more mindful of calling me mags instead of defaulting to something else and for myself too or maybe having a different name that makes more sense. It's like she would name me Michael Anthony. That's a great name that I've always thought are cool names to have. And so the great thing about my mom is that we had that conversation and she said she would support me having whatever name and she loves me. And she always thought I was going to be a boy. And, you know, she just wanted me to have um, the best life I could have and be happy. And that my mom is one of those folks that says it. It isn't like, I want you to be happy if it conforms to what I want you to be. She really means like whatever you can possibly imagine makes you happy. Cool. You know, so I'm grateful in that way. And then, yeah, being open to whatever that expression might be, whether it's, you know, a cultural change sort of, you know, where I just tell people say and do differently or something more permanent or legal or, you know, um, connected to the 3D world <laughs> that we experience. So but just being open to that, yeah. And then I think in the end for the for myself, the freedom is really just in my expressing whatever it is I'm expressing, whatever I want to call that, because we just made it all up. And then right, the idea of gender and biology and all of this like beautiful creation was just made up as a way to express energy. Yeah. We've just attached a lot of, 
you know, hierarchy and limiting beliefs to it, but it doesn't have to be that way just because that's how we've been doing it, right? That's the revolution that I'm, we're all craving, I think, and wanting. It is the revolution. The revolution is just getting outside of these ideas that other people told you. Like the earth gave us everything we needed to thrive for free. And we went and made jobs and bills, you know, like it's so wild just for systems of money and currency. Right. And so now that we're in the information age and you can subscribe to the people who nourish you and like, you can, you don't have to have cable in order to watch TV. Right. Like you can like decide, Oh, I really just want to watch Disney movies or whatever. Right. Like you can choose. And like, there's, this is the that's sometimes freedom is very overwhelming because there's so many choices people end up with analysis paralysis and if you were raised like me with perfectionism and people pleasing can be really hard to make decisions and to just trust that decision making is the self-correcting process but i have found like i mean there's just a few teachers who i've subscribed to for years who have really nourished my life and helped me find my freedom more and more um, through their teachings, because I need to, I mean, I even have a checklist of every day of what I'm inputting in my head. Um, and I'm spending at least two or three hours a day consciously reading, listening to, and watching things that are nourishing the worldview that I'm creating. Um, because I believe like, not only do I have a strong vision for what the world can be, uh, but I know I'm part of creating that. And so I have to keep my brain not full of the news or mainstream media <laughs> that stuff keeps us small and it keeps us um conforming and we want connection and we want freedom and the more people who get free together the more fun we get to have right like absolutely it's, yeah. yeah i mean i just think about like the first time i read how to be you by jeffrey marsh like there were not that many people on a mainstream level who were using they them pronouns and then now like four or five years later it's like it, there's a estimate I saw that like one in 200 people is trans at this point. And I'm like, and that is only going to keep multiplying as more people find resonance with a different aspect of gender or just how to express that. Cause again, it is all energies like the masculine and feminine energies are very real, but also like third gender non-binary people have always existed and trans people have always existed too. It's okay to be from one binary to another, like whatever your journey is, it's right for you. But like just getting out of the, the you know, em emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can change our minds, Bob Marley. Yes. And beginning whatever choice, like I think it begins with the choice of you deciding even what you are and who you are and how you want to express that. And I think that's the thing that I've been trying to convince even myself of is that we've made all this up and that's okay that we've made it up in some way to be able to relate to each other and to make meaning and um, sense of what we're experiencing. And it's okay if you've examined the possibilities and then you choose to be in the expression that you are, if that's your choice. I think that's, for a lot of us, we've been told that we don't have the choice to make. And I want to encourage each of us to know that we can make those choices, even if it's scary, because we've been told that survival comes with only certain safe choices. And there's just no such thing as safety. There's no such thing as um, a stability that means things won't be changing and that life won't be changing because all of this is impermanent because we change. And this is something I wanna to talk to you about because I just watched something really meaningful yesterday. Um, one of the biggest fears I've had um, through certain times of my life when I found the space to be in, afraid of this was my own mortality and about the ending 
or my perceived ending of what this life would be like no longer in this body in this experience and I've been in such fear of my mortality that it sometimes when nothing else has gripped me to feel the anxiety and the nervous system response to my own self being in existence and then knowing then that something about that will end and just yesterday I had this um, experience of realizing once again and remembering that if we're just energy and we are then there isn't an end to that and that continues beyond this awareness um, and this existence so all the more reason to make the most of and choose as much as I can within the experience and you know the trappings of this experience how I'm going to respond to and deal with and accept or not accept what's happening and then choose to change the things that I want to change. And it's helped me feel a lot more free in making choices and knowing that whatever thing I'm going through is going to change and end. And that's okay. And not something to be afraid of. <laughs> so I feel less afraid, I think, sort of, of um, whatever is happening and whatever emotions might come up because it'll all continue and I can you know, use these tools to move through that. And that's been really helpful to me. So I appreciate you again, I think, and being <laughs> the the, um, the inspiration and the energy beginner, you know, or the, the energy that you put out, I think is helpful to um, acceptance and love. And I appreciate that about you. <laughs> oh, thank you, Mags. I just, uh, I have to say thank you for that. And thank you for continuing to rem remind me of the value that I bring because it can be really hard. Yeah. We were talking about like cancel culture earlier and like how hard it is to have like nasty people on the internet say mean things to you. We have like humans have a negativity bias. It's really difficult to like take our perspective off of the people that we're potentially like alienating or harming by being ourselves, right? Like or or perceived harming, right? Um and like it, it can be really like hard to like think about, oh, what will my mom say when I like talk about my gender or my name change or all of these things. Um, but I just something that has been really helpful to me is to just continue to reorient my perspective to some, to, to like you, I frequently think of you actually. I'm like, <laughs> if this is going to provide value to someone who I love, who I know is doing the work and is on the journey and does not, does not have a distorted perception of me because of their own filters, then that's what I'm focused on. I'm focused on that. So it's like focusing on like the people who see you as like, I don't know, just letting your angelic self. I love to think about the angels mm -hmm. and how they kind of work through us frequently, um, just in ways that we're not even conscious of a lot of times. Like you, <laughs> I trust, like I'll say something in a podcast that someone's going to hear who needed that healing, right? Like, so it's, or, or like even in a personal conversation with someone or even like after faculty dance party, when we're on the zoom and checking in about self-care, there's a lot of stuff that I'm reminded constantly is self-care. And I'm like, oh yeah, close the laptop. Oh yeah. Turn on all my cute glittery lights to make myself happier. Right. Like just all the little things that we need other people to be angels in our lives and remembering that your freedom is someone else's freedom because we're always kind of giving permission. We always have more influence than we even know. Um, and kind of the best things I'm reminded is that people change. Like I, you can't hinge any ex expectations on other people changing, but they might, and they might change because they saw an example from you, you know, and like start taking their self-care more seriously or their growth more seriously. Um, Max, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap up the podcast? Hmm. 
I just think it's really exciting, or I try to now um, view uncertainty and the future just with um, embracing the excitement of what can be and what's possible and not so much projecting the fear of like concern or um, sadness or loss and instead embracing that nothing is ever truly lost, that we're just experiencing and in here here for the experience. And so that helps me in these uncertain times of, you know, knowing that um, humans are gonna keep being interconnected. And even most recently, if we are just going towards a mass extinction, that will just mean more growth and the earth will regenerate in other ways and we'll be able to continue bringing our energy and experiencing whatever is ahead. And it just helps me be, yeah, out of my fear and in my love and accepting um, mindset of like, wow, what a beautiful gift of this time and place of this awareness together and this community and this like joy together. And I look forward to the joy that we have ahead and knowing that it's all, we talked about earlier, really all can just be love and acceptance and we can reconnect to that. And that's a beautiful thing. And I appreciate that. about you and um, having this experience and that everything's going to be okay always everything is going to be okay it's all I mean everything's always working out and it is it's a great yeah. affirmation because even when things seem like they weren't working out for me ultimately they were working out for me so yeah they are we're just energy and love and yeah love being expressed through these biological beings and what a joy that we get to yeah. do that I look forward to Devin being with you soon and enjoying some barbecue and cake and dancing and music and all the fun things. Oh, it's so possible. And I just want to leave like saying, yes, we could be on our way to mass extinction. I really truly believe that humanity right now is at a crossroads. Um, I think much like uh, the lost city of Atlantis, that was a civilization that was at a crossroads that ultimately um, choosing the wrong side, right? Led to the downfall of that entire civilization. Um, and then humanity continued to go on. I think at this point, we're definitely seeing a huge binary, a huge shift in people who like are like retaining systems of power and control, white supremacy, right? Capitalism, colonialism. Mm -hmm. And just thinking about the violence of the last like 400 years of colonialism um, and how that those repercussions are still being felt now, especially through the unconscious experience of people not choosing to grow and to, to learn how they were systematized into power and control but we have this information age we have this internet tool you have control over your attention and how you put your energy into this world and this is the you the collective you not you mags because you're already doing this work but yeah it's each of us and i think that right now what we're doing has effects on humanity as a whole like this this is it like a big navy warship right heading in one direction towards mass extinction that's real i mean the mother gaia is like the hurricanes the fires all of this is because we're destroying our environment we have the technology and the capability to bring it back and i think this is a giant boat that turns because more of us choose to become awakened and enlightened to what's possible for us and how much being in a space of love and freedom and connection can really relieve um all of the selfishness because that's really i mean it's just a few who are hoarding resources we have all the resources mm-hmm. 
And so like, I'm excited. I'm just casting the vision that I think the ship is turning. And I think that we're going to turn to a more harmonized planet um, within a couple of generations. Um, I don't necessarily know that I'm going to see it in my lifetime, uh, but I'm casting that vision and hoping that my grandkids get to see it and, um, and, and going to continue to to learn from my own children as my best teachers because that's really what kids are there there are teachers and like I think that's something that we really miss out on by like making our kids conform and scolding them and criticizing them like that's tamping their spirits they're gonna have to unlearn that so anyway um yeah to the extent that each of us can choose creation instead of competition yeah every time over and over again Yes. We're putting out the energy that, yes, helps fuel whatever is ahead and whatever is ahead is what, you know, needs to happen. And it's OK. You know, we're I do agree with that. We're putting out the energy out there that is about love and acceptance and what nature needs. And then we just recycle what we can, the energy that we can. Yeah. And absolutely, humans are an incredible species because we do know and are created for creation and collaboration and cooperation for survival. Like we will, I think, do in the end, eventually enough of us know that our survival is in cooperation and cooperation because yes, we have, we have the balance. We can reattain it or not. The balance is going to come. Yeah. So we're doing our part. I think, and that's, that's the part we can do, you know, this, like this vessel's part. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's close this out with a group hug. We're doing, oh, we're doing oh, arm yeah. circles. We're just, yeah. we're doing this. If you're out there, hug with us. Put put a little arm circle in front of you. Let's hug together. Let's let's change humanity. Let's make it better. We're Once basically all the exact same, you guys. Yeah. If if we accept our oneness, um, it makes it hard to like hate and put power and control and all of that. Yeah, we're just gonna share and care and vibe up. <laughs> and vibe in the fun, <laughs> joyful energy. Yes. Look. Oh, the same. <laughs> I love you so much, Bevin. Thanks love for being you. here. Next time you're on the podcast, maybe there will be a new name. Who knows? It's it's, it's all ever unfolding. Yeah. All same up. name, different energy. We don't know. <laughs> exactly. It'll be a different energy only because it will be a leveled up energy because that's the direction. Yeah. We're, going. we're always, yeah, we're always doing that. I love you so much. Love you.